Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Joel Jameson. So Joel is a best-selling author and one of the world's foremost authorities on strength, conditioning, and energy system development. His training strategies have been used by thousands of athletes and elite performers worldwide, including the Navy SEALs, UFC champions, and dozens of teams from the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA. He's also spent the last 20 years using heart rate variability as a key measure for recovery in performance. So who better today to discuss how data-driven recovery can elevate your sport performance? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Joel onto the show. So Joel, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you back on. Yeah, thanks. Great to be back on again. Thank you very much for joining us. So for those who haven't listened to your first podcast and don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, I'll try to condense 20 plus years in fitness in a few seconds <laughs> for you here. Um, I got started late 90s, uh, collegiate football, worked with a fantastic strength coach named Bill Gillespie. Extremely strong, powerful guy, bench pressed over 1,000 pounds now at uh, 60 plus years old. So I started, like a lot of coaches, in the strength side of the game and went to the NFL for a year, the Seattle Seahawks, and then opened up my own gym. And that's really where everything changed for me because I happened to open next to an MMA gym and started training combat athletes at the highest level pretty early on and realized how little I knew about conditioning. So I dove really headfirst in energy systems and helping them get ready for fights and just that whole end of the game. And uh, as the sport grew and my knowledge and experience grew, I started writing about that and sharing that information online. And so I built a website eight weeks out and uh, slowly created a following on that end of things. And then kind of the same same scale, I started using a technology called HRV back in the early 2000s as well. And I started sharing that information as well because it was it was fairly unknown back then. And so over the years, I've done a lot of different things with, like I said, HRV and technology, uh, expanded conditioning well beyond mixed martial arts into really kind of every sport and worked with a lot of different teams and organizations, uh, started training coaches and, and put together conditioning certification, uh, worked with companies like Lifetime Fitness and Equinox and Goals Gym uh, on that end, and just kind of done a lot of different things between conditioning, recovery, HRV, technology, and and uh, really kind of everything along that spectrum for the last, uh, you know, like I said, 10, 10 20 years. And uh, just uh, putting all those pieces together now and trying to help people improve their conditioning to, to drive their health, wellness, and longevity these days, mostly online and educating and speaking and, and doing all that. I think it's a, a super interesting career from professional sports all the way through to uh, this podcast where you're sat in Hawaii uh, enjoying the nice weather. So, um, yeah. like, when when it comes to that recovery side of things, because we're going to get to heart, heart rate variability in a little bit, but when when you're talking about recovery, like when should you recover? When when should you maybe not recover? It, it kind of seems intuitive that you always want to recover all of the time, but is is that really the case? Well, I think I think first of all we have to talk about what is recovery, right? Because to me that defines a conversation, and I think a lot of times. People think of recovery as just, you know, something you do after your workout. It's like I go work out, uh, you know, I put my body under load or stress, and then I recover from that, and then I repeat that. And that's certainly the case, but I look at recovery as a broader picture. So I think we can kind of look at putting our body in these states of stress, right, whether that's physical stress, mental stress, or, or often a combination of that environmental stress, all these different types of things. And then recovery is really the process of the body adapting to those periods of stress, right? So that's where we actually see the gains from fitness. And there's really, we can kind of break down recovery in my mind into two separate pieces. 
we can say the first part of recovery is just getting your body back to normal, uh, you know, back to what we call like a homeostatic balance. So after I lift weights, obviously my blood pressure's up and my adrenaline's up and cortisol, all these different hormones are impacted from, from putting my body under load. So the first part of recovery is just getting those back to normal, right? Just returning all those hormones back to normal levels, restoring our body temperature and pH and all these things to normal resting physiological levels. But then the second and extended part of recovery, which we really care about equally, if not more, is the adaptation to that lifting. And that's where protein synthesis has to increase and our body has to turn the foods we eat and the foods we have stored into new tissues and into new processes and structures in our body that improve our fitness ultimately. And that is really, you know, the stage of recovery where we see good things happen. So in that sense, yeah, you always want to recover, obviously, because that recovery is the process of adapting. And that means in the case of fitness, getting in better shape, whether that's strength or power or endurance or whatever the case may be. So the question is, yeah, we always want to recover because without recovery, we're not adapting. And the question becomes, and probably what you're alluding to is, are there periods where we want incomplete recovery? And the answer is, yeah, depending on what you're doing, there may be periods where you have to successively load a fair amount of stress in order to really trigger that adaptation. Because the more fit we are, the more training it takes to push our body to the next level. So uh, we can kind of zoom in on lots of details of recovery, or we can zoom out on that big picture as I've talked about here. And I think that's where we need to have the most important conversations because people get lost in the weeds of, you know, recovery modalities, whether it's it's cryo or massage or a million other techniques without really understanding, to my mind, the big picture of what we're actually trying to accomplish with these different recovery tools, modalities and strategies. So when when you're talking big picture, what for you are then the, the big rocks of that big picture? What do what do people need to do in order to make sure that they are either recovering or, or not recovering at the right times? I mean, the, the question is always comes back to lifestyle. I mean, it's funny because in fitness, I feel like we know most of the big pieces and we get lost searching for the smaller ones. I mean, look, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not going to recover nearly as quickly because you're highly anabolic or you release the most anabolic when you're sleeping. So if your sleep is cut short, we know that it drops anabolic hormones like testosterone and it increases some of the catabolic ones. And so your recovery on the, in that sense is going to be compromised. So sleep is a huge piece of it. Obviously, nutrition plays a big role. If you're if you're not getting enough calories, you're not getting enough nutrients and high-quality foods, clearly that's going to slow down your recovery. Uh, if you are mentally stressed from your job or from your life all day long, that puts you in a sympathetic um, state where your body's under stress and it can't be under stress and recover from that stress at the same period of time. So chronically mental, uh, being mentally stressed slows things down. And so learning how to manage that mental stress effectively is a huge piece. I mean, all of the variables basically in your lifestyle – are setting yourself up for whether or not you're going to adapt positively or negatively to that workout. And what I mean by that is the same workout can have very different effects depending on what happens afterwards, right? If I do a great workout and I get a good amount of food and I get a lot of sleep and I'm not stressed out, my body is going to have plenty of energy to devote to that workout and adapting to that workout and making my body more fit, right? But if I do that workout and then I'm stressed out of my mind trying to meet a deadline at work and I'm uh, worried about paying the bills and I sleep for four and a half, five hours and my, my food is all over the place, that workout could actually put my body in a period of stress where I don't adapt positively to it, where maybe I start to have uh, injuries creep up over time because I didn't fully recover from it and I did it over and over again. So there are, are a lot of differences between, you know, one workout to the next based on what happened in between them. So really it comes back to the big picture of lifestyle 
drives recovery and recovery drives what happens from your work in the gym. And when you, when you want to measure that recovery, what kind of KPIs do you think are important to look at? I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's easy to say, are oh, you recovered today? But are there some more in-depth things that we can do to ensure that we're getting a, a really comprehensive picture of what recovery might mean to an individual? Well, I think from a, just a data and big picture standpoint, the HRV metric that I mentioned earlier is really kind of the single best tool we have. You know, aside from that, Subjective feelings do matter. I mean, if you feel recovered, there's probably something to that versus feeling terrible. Now that there are better, worse people at judging that, but also just your performance in the gym. You know, how heavy do the weights feel or how does that run feel? What does your heart rate look like when you're training? I mean, you can look at numbers when you're training if you're pretty in tune with your body or you pay attention and keep a training log and you can see where your performance is is uh, headed or what it's doing as as a, you know, in in gym actual metrics. But like I said, just backing up to that, if you use HRV as well, and then you look at the rest of your lifestyle factors, you can infer recovery really well. I mean, I know if I only got four hours sleep, my recovery is probably not amazing. Um, I know if I've been stressed out of my mind working on a project till four in the morning, even if I did get enough sleep, that's, that stress late in the night probably wasn't helpful. You know, I know what my diet's been like. So I think we can intuitively put the pieces together if we really pay attention to just what we've doing, what we've been doing at least. And understand how much those things impact our recovery, both positively and negatively. And then, like the HRV really shows you that. And that's the biggest thing is uh, I think you get the most use out of HRV when you use it to understand the role of all these things rather than when you use it to just try to see what it shows it tells you and then you know not really pay attention to why it's doing that. Because to me, all the tech in the world is to help us learn our bodies and to learn how we adapt and to learn how we respond to different things in our lifestyle. And then we get better at it. So we have to be aware and if we use HRB as an awareness building tool. It's incredibly powerful. If we just look at the number on the screen and don't have much attention to anything else, uh, I think it's less valuable. But ultimately, HRB is the best all around metric to give us to the bigger picture of recovery. I think it's really interesting that you touched on the fact that people need to be uh, conscious of what they're doing. So I think it's very easy to. Uh, to have a number of habits, whether that's sleeping poorly, eating poorly or whatever, where they might think, oh, I want to improve recovery, but they don't necessarily consciously look at those habits because they don't see them as something which is necessarily changeable or something that which they can have a, a large influence on. So I think it's really important that you, you're able to stress that and say, you know what, um, those, those big, big blocks, although, it sounds obvious. I think a lot of people don't do it very well. So I think that's really, um, yeah, really important that you've, you've touched that. And next to that, the, the heart rate variability stuff, like when, when you're saying heart rate variability, for those who don't know what that term means, can you give us a quick definition and then like uh, an explanation of how that's measured? Yeah. I mean, it's been around for a long time. It's, it's not some sort of like new fad. I mean, people see it and hear about it now, but it's been around since like the fifties, sixties, um, it was originally developed by the Russians to to use in their space program because they could monitor the health of their their cosmonauts or at least to monitor the the stress of their cosmonauts up in space. But the shortest way to understand it is that your heart does not beat like a metronome like you might expect. It beats in a rhythmic or arrhythmic pattern, I should say, depending on your breathing influences and depending on the stress that's on your body and kind of what state it's in. And we have kind of two parts that we can shift towards, I guess, say, uh, use an autonomic nervous system. One is called the stress state or the sympathetic state. And that's where our body is under stress and load. And we see a heart rate shift into a very specific pattern when we're in that state. And then the other is rest recovery. And we see our heart rate pattern shift into a different 
pattern or a different uh, look when we're in that sort of state. And it, this is more of a spectrum. It's not really a light switch. It's more like a dial that your body can shift between. It's not like on or off. It's, it's an entire spectrum that the body can function within. So heart rate variability measures essentially the pattern of our heart rate. So instead of just looking at, you know, 60 beats per minute, it's, it's looking at that distribution of heart rate intervals across that minute. And it's quantifying that in terms of how much variability greater level of variability generally indicates that we're more shifted towards that recovery state and a lower variability indicates that we're more on that stress state. So it gives our body or gives us a snapshot into our body's autonomic function, which gives us a snapshot into how our body is coping with the stress that we're putting our body under and how much energy we're devoting towards either stress or the recovery from that stress over time. And so by looking at those snapshots on a daily basis, it's a really interesting metric to see. And kind of the easiest analogy is if you wanted to see if you were losing weight, well, you'd step on a scale every morning and you'd look at the direction, right? If your scale weight averages are going down over time, it means you're dropping weight. If they're going up, it means you're gaining weight. And we can use HRV somewhat in that same sense because we can see how our body is changing over time. We look at it on this daily basis and get an idea of, of where our body is heading, uh, hopefully positively. But if not, we can see the negative changes and hopefully make some interventions to prevent that from continuing to go the wrong direction on us. And when, when you say, okay, you, you're going to wake up and measure it in the morning, uh, what does that measurement look like? So here's the thing about HRV. There are a lot of different systems out there. Um, and there's kind of two broad categories of, of how HRV is measured. Uh, one I would call active HRV, which is what my own HRV system and other HRV systems do. And that is where you take a two and a half, three minute measurement in the morning, uh, preferably before you've had coffee or before you've worked out, those sorts of things. And then you get an HRV number. And now the advantage to that is it's standardized. So it's very much like weighing yourself in the morning. You get a snapshot of where you are each day to compare yourself against. And that makes it very valuable because you can see those changes relative to the same state the day before. The other is the more, I guess, commercialized version, I would say. It's it's passive HRV, and in that sense, it just measures it in the background. Uh, some devices will measure it periodically throughout the day. Some devices will measure it overnight at short intervals. No one's measuring it all night overnight because it would drain your battery. So they'll just measure it little two-and-a-half-minute intervals or 60-second intervals throughout the night, but you don't really know when they're measuring it. And then it's basically a number in the morning. The problem with that is it's not nearly as standardized, and it's much harder to gain the insight from looking at a daily snapshot under the same conditions because sleeping is not really always the same condition and HRV will change depending on if you're on your side, your stomach or your back. And if you're just getting little snapshots over the course of night, I think it's much harder to really glean the insight from that. Now the trends I think can still be valuable in these, in these passive HRV monitors, but the daily guy, the daily numbers I think are not nearly as accurate when you measure it uh, passively in the background, unfortunately. And like I said, there's, there's just been a lot of systems out there um, in the last few years in particular, and a lot of them are willing to sacrifice accuracy for convenience. And for the mass market, uh, you know, that's their choice. But I think if you really want accurate data, you're better off using a system where you can measure yourself at the same time, in the same context each day, the same way you would measure your weight, and then look at the picture that way. Because to me, that's just a much better gauge of, of where you're actually uh, heading from one day to the next. And the measurements are at rest. So they're, they're very easy measurements to take. In that case, you're not having to do anything active or uh, go through a long, difficult process. You literally just sit there for a couple minutes while it measures your HRV and then spits you out a number on the back end. But the other thing that I should mention is 
there's a lot of different ways to calculate HRV as well. It's not like heart rate where you're just counting how many times it beats in a minute. There's math that's involved and there's different formats that can be used. And you can't really then compare one HRV system's number to another because they're using different metrics of HRV. They're using different filtering techniques. They're using different hardware, et cetera, et cetera. You really can't say, oh, I got this score on this HRV system. How is that compared to this score on this other HRV system? Those are just questions you can't really ask because they're not really comparing apples to apples. Even though it is the same tool, HRV, it's measured and quantified in, in different ways. And I th- obviously that's the super important to touch on. Like when, when you've got, let's assume, uh, solid, reliable data, uh, how can you use that to impact your recovery? So let, let's say that you've got an athlete there who um, has a, a poor score. How are you going to use that to actually change their lifestyle in order to improve recovery? Sure. So we can, we can look at HRV really kind of in two contexts. The first is the daily context, like I mentioned. So the bigger the swing away from kind of your normal baseline, the, the more stress your body has been under is an easy way to look at it. So it's measuring kind of this bigger picture cost of stress. When we see big changes in HRV drop, it means your body's under and or been under a lot of stress acutely or still under that stress acutely. When we see huge changes up way above baseline, it tells us that we're shifted in a very deep recovery state to try to recover from that. So we can't just look at this, the number itself. We want to look at directionally where it's going up or down. And we also want to see how far away it is from your baseline. But in the big picture, what I'm looking for is I, if I could successively load myself to the point where I'm constantly under recovering or, or incompletely recovering, I should say, that's going to eventually trigger some negative effects in my body, right? It basically means I'm, I continually load, but I don't fully recover, which means A, at a minimum, I'm not gaining the full benefit because I'm not allowing my process to go through the process, go through the, you know, the entire spectrum of adaptation where I get better. And if I'm shortcutting that, then I'm putting in work, but I'm not getting better. So obviously we don't want to do that. And what I'll do is just look at the HRV picture from one day to the next, or maybe the last two or three days. And I can see, you know, is the HRV showing that this, this athlete or myself, when I use it, is going through this stress recovery cycle appropriately and effectively, or are we uh, under recovering from what we need to do? And then the question is, okay, well, if this person is under recovering, is it because the train load's really high or is it because their lifestyle load is really high? And we have to kind of take those both into account, right? If the train load is high, then the obvious thing to do is, is make some adjustments to that, right? Reduce the volume, reduce the intensity, uh, you know, decrease the training load. But if the training load doesn't seem to be the problem and lifestyle is the bigger picture, then you've got to, you know, prioritize whatever it is that's causing that and, and make adjustments accordingly. But again, it's, it's always a combination of it too, the two, right? Uh, a better lifestyle with more sleep and less stress and good nutrition can support more training and vice versa. So you just kind of have to drill in. And this is where, again, to me, the awareness and the learning process is much more important than anything else. And so you just start saying, oh, look, the train load hasn't been that high, but this person's really not adapting very well. They're, they're just not improving. And we see them under a lot of stress. Well, why? Okay, well, how have they been sleeping? Well, what's their diet been like? Well, how much mental stress has been under? You know, you start asking these questions, figuring out what the limit factors are, and then come up with a plan to you know, address those things and, and adjust everything accordingly. Now, the second thing is HRV can be looked at in the long term in as a men, just a measure of overall cardiovascular fitness aerobic system function 
So higher, someone with a higher HRV is going to have a greater level of overall aerobic fitness than somebody with lower HRV, the same way we would see with resting heart rate in the opposite spectrum. So someone with a lower resting heart rate has higher uh, aerobic fitness, but somebody with a higher HRV will have higher aerobic fitness, and those will correlate. So we can look at kind of this big picture moving average trend if our goal is to say, hey, if, you know, if our goal is to improve aerobic fitness and, and cardiovascular conditioning, is our HRV going up over time, which is what we want to see if our goal is to improve that, right? It's a barometer of our cardiovascular fitness, the same way the strength, you know, is measured by weight on the bar and power is measured by weight and speed and all that. We can use the trend of HRV and the averages of HRV to tell us whether or not that's improving as well, if that's one of our training goals. So we can look at it in the short run to say, okay, are we getting the balance between stress and recovery right? And then in the long run, is our program working? Now, typically, you know, assuming your program is built well, if you're getting the balance of stress and recovery right, then yeah, you'll see it go up over time. And if you're not getting that balance right, you will see it go down over time. Or at the very least, you won't see it improve over time. So you can look at, you know, HRV from these these two kind of op, you know opposing contexts. One is a very short term context, and the other is a, a longer term picture of, of improvement. And again, I I always caution you you, you never want to use one metric as your sole guiding point, your sole North Star. There's there's lots of stuff you want to look at, right? It's, it's not just HRV or nothing. You want to use this within, uh, you know, within that context of, of how do you feel and what do your performance numbers look like when you're training? How What are your heart rates doing when you're working out or heart rate recovery or how are your weights changing the bar or, you know, how are your uh, how is your overall joint health and movement health and all these sorts of things? Like you, you look at the big picture and HRV is an important piece of that. But you gotta have a bigger puzzle than just one number on a screen. I think, uh, yeah, that that ties into a lot of what a lot of organizations will do uh, naturally, and that's take take some questionnaire data, right? So they would they would of course ask their athletes how they're feeling, and they'll walk into the uh, the weight room or the hall or whatever that they're, they're going to do the training and the coach takes one look at them and it's like, nah, man, you look like crap. <laughs> you, you're, you're not as well recovered as we think you might be. Yeah. Look, I think I've been around, I've been fortunate. I've been around a lot of tremendously good coaches over the years. Um, and they're, they're almost all very intuitive at understanding what their athletes need over time. That's part of why they're good coaches. They, they pay attention. They, recognize what the athletes look like when they're well recovered and what the athletes look like when they're not. And they make decisions about practice and training and scheduling and everything around those variables. And like I said, the good coaches do that. And the, the good teams have performance data teams in place that help back that up. Uh, but, you know, whether you're coaching yourself or you're coaching other people, you know, a big piece of coaching is knowing what someone needs uh, at the time. And that's, you know, judgment and history and experience and learning and just the process of paying attention. And if you're coaching yourself, it's the same thing. You've got to be aware and you've got to be um, able and willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm not ready to train 100% right now. I need to make some changes, either lifestyle or training or, or both, and then do those things. I think a lot of times people just kind of go through their habits or their routines and they just do what they do, but they're not taking the time to really question every day. Is this what I need today? And, you know, yes or no, and make decisions from that standpoint, because really it's, it's, it's the daily accumulation over time that leads to us improving or getting worse or staying the same. It's just a whole bunch of little decisions we have to make and the better decisions you can make, the better results you're going to see. Yeah, I think that's uh, absolutely excellent stuff. And just before we wrap up, I'd like to to bring that to life with a, in a case study. Can you give us an example of 
where you've used this before with some uh, potentially with the kind of numbers and in a training program so that it brings that to life a little bit? I mean, like I said, I've trained, I don't know, dozens and dozens of combat athletes over the years. And one of the things we've, we've always driven for it or, or driven for, I should say, is consistency and athlete preparation, right? So if we're training an athlete for a fight camp, we want to have very specific metrics of where the athlete should be in each step of that fight camp. So HRV, rest and heart rate, heart rate recovery between rounds are really the three things we're going to look at as an athlete goes through a fight camp to make sure that by the time they get to the fight, they are 100% in shape and they're at peak performance, meaning that they don't have a bunch of residual fatigue and their body is capable of of displaying its fitness to the highest potential, right? So each week we'll track what is the trend of HRV, we'll track uh, heart rate recovery in between sparring rounds, and then we'll look at rest and heart rate. And we just have very specific metrics that we're trying to hit in each phase of that training camp to get them to that fight week. And that's really kind of the guiding picture of, of how all the pieces of, of training, nutrition, rest, recovery, everything else come together to get an athlete ready to compete. It's it's the same patterns over and over again to get somebody to be very consistent in their training and very consistent in their actual performance. So if you look at an athlete like Demetrius Johnson, who I was fortunate to work with for a long, long time, he set the record for UFC title defenses. And that was because everything in his training camps were incredibly consistent and everything was managed effectively so that he could show up on fight night as conditioned as possible at peak readiness and, and have the ability to go out there and perform, you know, fight after fight after fight after fight. And that's really the process I've used with, with every athlete. I mean, I've used HRV with everybody I've trained for, I don't know, 15, 20 years at this point. And um, like I said, the biggest thing you'll find when you start using it, whether you're a coach or just yourself, is is you re- might you don't always respond the way you, things you think you do. And then you also see that everybody is very different if you're a coach and you look at it with a lot of people. We're all, we're all different people. We're all different animals because – we are the sum of our genetics times our environment across our lifetime. Uh, that's really what we come down to is our genetics interact with our environment and that changes us over time and we end up where we are. And that means no two people have the same endpoint. We're all different because of that. So how sleep and training and nutrition and mental stress and environmental stress, how all those things impact us are, is, is different. We're, we're not the same person replicated six billion times. We're all incredibly different. And using HRV and paying attention to the data and looking into your lifestyle reveals that. So that's just been a core part of my coaching forever, basically. And the more I've done it, the more I've learned. And so it's, it's a hugely valuable process that just helps you dial in your own training and your own lifestyle to get the most out of your training and, and achieve your specific goals. Absolutely excellent. So, Joe, massive thanks for your time and wisdom today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people find out some more about you and what you've been doing? Sure. Eightweeksout.com is my website, just number eightweeksout.com. Um, got a search of articles, different interviews there, uh, videos. I've got a master class you can sign up for if you're a coach and different uh, Tools and resources. If you're a coach, I've got certifications on there and that sort of thing. An eight-week program for those who just want to go through the process. And, of course, I include education along that. Uh, if you want to jump on the old uh, Instagram, it's just Coach Joel Jameson, J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N. I post a fair amount on there, and those are really the two best places to find me. Absolutely excellent. So, Joel, massive thanks for your time and effort today. Uh, I look forward to speaking again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again, and I uh, look forward to coming back on down the road. Thank you very much, Freddie. Cheers. 
And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Joel for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I'd like to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrown library of online sports science courses, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. That means you can fit them in and around your busy coaching schedule. And every time you complete a course, you'll also get a certificate of completion to prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested in getting yourself into the Science of Sport Coach Academy, you can get in there completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.